John 1, 35 through 42. I love this passage of Scripture. And, and as always, I want to encourage you guys to, to not just read this from an intellectual perspective, but to open your heart to what God would say to you today through His Word. John 1, 35 through 42. The next day, John, speaking of the Baptist here, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Lord, bless your word today. Speak to each one of our hearts and help our eyes to be opened. As as Paul from the New Testament helps scales to fall from our eyes so we can see you in your glory. Speak to us, change our hearts, and let us leave here today with a new purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Family is important. I love family. I love spending time with my family. And you ever want to share things with your family? Anybody? I, I, um, on my day off a couple of weeks ago, I discovered this website called HiddenSanDiego.com, which is all the super secret cool places in San Diego that nobody knows about. And so there was this trail. It's called the Ho Chi Minh Trail that goes from up in the Salk Institute in La Jolla, and it's super sketchy. And, like, if you're not careful, um, you can get really hurt on it. So I don't recommend. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, But I hiked down the trail and got down to Torrey Pine State Beach, almost broke my neck a couple of times, and turned left, of course, because if you turn right, you might see some things over on the other side of Torrey Pine State Beach, if you know what I'm talking about, the the black beach over there that you may not want to see. So I turned left. And headed down to uh, headed down to toward uh, La Jolla Shores, and there's it was such a beautiful day, and there's shells all over the beach and sand dollars that are perfect. The birds haven't gotten to them yet, so I'm picking them up and putting them in my cargo shorts for Gavin and Ivan and Lily when I get home, and and it was just so perfect. And I I get to the end and I see this house. It's shaped like a mushroom on the beach. Have any of you guys seen this down? It's crazy. There's, there's a house. It looks like something from the Jetsons, right? Like a mushroom that's back in this corner of Torrey Pine State Beach. And there's like a, a, like a roller coaster type thing that goes up to a mansion up on the cliff. And that's their like beach house. Which where do you... The, I told John about it. He was like, dude, that's Gatsby. That's, that's what that is. That's, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. So I'm like taking pictures of my iPhone and, and getting ready to post. I'll post them later to Instagram today for, for my followers. And, uh, 
<laughs> and I, there's this rocky like coast that goes around the cliff, and you go around the cliff, and it's um, it's La Jolla Shores Beach, and it's just beautiful. And this it's where the Scripps Institute comes down. There's this waterfall and this beautiful pier, and I'm like, I got to share this with my family. So the next the next week, we go over, and I know the Ho Chi Minh Trail is a little too dangerous for Gavin and Ivan and some of the kids, but we went down another trail and we walked down there and, and we're, we're tired. We start walking down the beach and all of a sudden I see this dead pelican, broken neck, flip backward. I'm like, oh, that's gross. You know, we keep walking and then there's a dead otter and it's, the skin is gone off its head. It's just the skull and the little flipper things in a pile of seaweed. And then we see this, like, dead, like, it looks like a frog in another pile a few feet down the beach. And we're just like, what's going on here? There's no shells. All the shells have either gotten eaten by the birds or whatever. So anyway, and, oh, man, it was gross. So we get over there by the house, and I'm like, you guys, we got to walk around the corner. You guys got to see La Jolla Shores Beach. It's amazing. Well, a couple, I won't say who didn't bring their shoes so we're, like, walking on the rocks, you know, and I'm holding Gavin, like, hoping to God I don't fall over and bust his head on a rock. And the tide has come in, and there's piles of seaweed that are dead that are, like, the size of a bus. And there are swarms, like like a plague of flies. There's, you know, just in our nose, in our mouth, every hole in your ears, and it's so gross. It takes us, like, an hour to get across the rocks and around. And I keep telling them, I'm like, guys, it'll be worth it. Come on. It's, it'll be worth it. It's amazing. And I'm like, I got a cut on my foot, Dad. No, come on. It's worth it. Come on. We get around the corner, and the tides come up so far that we can't get to the beach because we'd have to wait in, like, chest-deep water to get around. And it was like, well, we got to turn around and go back through the swarm of flies, back past all the dead animals. It was just horrible. I'm like, I'm never trying to share anything with anybody again. It was... You ever take a journey and there's just like unforeseen hazards, things that happen, and you're like, well, I didn't see that coming. I, I wasn't expecting that. That's, that actually, it, there are a lot of things like that in the journey of the disciple. And they're not always super obvious to us. Just like in this passage, they don't really stand out. But today we're going to seek to discover the simplicity of the journey of following Jesus. And my hope today is that God will restore your joy. I've been following Jesus since I was six. As long as I can remember, it's over 25 years ago. Go ahead, you can do the math. And yet when I come to this passage, a passage like this, I I feel like I'm just beginning to see how simple and yet profound it is to follow Jesus, to take this journey of discipleship. It's amazing how many times I look back over this short 25 years, how many times I've lost sight of the goal, gotten, gotten off track, fallen into pitfalls, gotten taken. Can anybody relate to me? Have you gotten thrown off course before? The longer I pastor, I realize it's not just me. I, it, we, we talk and have conversations in community every day with people who are caught off guard by unseen hazards of the journey. And it almost... It's like we've been duped. We get lured away from the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus. I think it happens to all of us at times. Our growth gets stunted. Our goals get mixed up. We lose our joy. And after a while, we look around and we wonder, what in the world are we doing? Why am I here? 
And the mission, one of the results is the mission in our life just grows cold. Our hearts grow cold. Um, it becomes a chore to share our faith, to hang out in community. Anybody? Anybody? To serve in areas of need. We were supposed to be experiencing this abundant life, and it feels a lot more like death. But passages like this, if you read them, if you let the Holy Spirit warm your heart and speak to you today, will call us back and remind us that He is the goal. That Jesus alone is the goal of the journey and nothing else. And it may help us rediscover some things that are ruining our journey and tainting our experience. So if you'll open your heart to God's Word this morning, I believe you will recapture the simplicity of discipleship because experiencing Jesus is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Do you believe that? As we just read in this passage, the three points we're going to talk about today, He will graciously open your eyes to see Him and redirect your course to follow Him and change the lives around you as you share Him. And it's all a work of His grace for you and through you. But the journey always starts by seeing Jesus. And the first thing we see in this passage is John the Baptist saying what? Behold the Lamb of God. What do you see when you look at Jesus? John, John saw a lamb. And that phrase is just like loaded with meaning and soaked in grace. I, here's, a, here's a discussion. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. When you think of that phrase, lamb of God, what does it bring to mind from the story of God? What do you think about when you hear the phrase, Lamb of God? What's that? Meekness and innocence. Innocence. A spotless, perfect, innocent lamb. Yeah. Marco? Slaughter. Yeah. There will be blood. Yeah. Sacrifice. And sacrifice not just for the sake of sacrifice, but for a greater purpose. For you and for me, right? Yeah. Food. Yeah. That's good. Passover lamb, right? Before they spread the blood on the doorpost, and when Moses is taking the children of Israel out, you know, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, Cotton Beard, you know, taking the children of Israel out. Before they do that, they eat the lamb, don't they? They partake of the life-giving substance of the lamb. Yeah. What else? What else do you guys think about? In the story of God. Mm. Atonement. Sin transfer. Our sins placed on that lamb, and he takes our place. And we have life. He experienced death in our place. Yeah, good. Marco. Mm. Gentleness. Good. How about further back in the story? Before, Even before Moses. Do you guys remember anything else? What's that? The garden? Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. God calls Abraham to take Isaac up to the mountain and slay his only son. But at the last moment, as he's raising the knife, God says, no, stop, Abraham. And there's a ram caught in the thicket, and he switches it out. And God says, I've provided myself a sacrifice for you. Takes his place, atonement. Yeah. Cain and Abel. Okay. Good. Yeah. Hey, you see this tracing all the way back in the story. 
How about in the garden? Somebody mentioned the garden. You guys remember from that? Yeah, so Adam and Eve, they sin, they're naked, they're ashamed, they run and they hide, and they sew themselves like this figgy apron that's dying even while they're sewing it together, their own works to cover themselves up. But when Jesus comes, or God, God in the garden comes and graciously calls them out of their hiding, he replaces that with, with the skin of a sacrifice, doesn't he? And he, he says, one day a Redeemer will come. One day there, uh, uh, the Lamb of God will come and take away the sin of the world. And can you imagine, that's, that's what John sees. All that, that prophecy from, from bef- the dawn of time all the way through the story that's built up and crescendoed is now standing in front of him in the flesh. Walking along the shore of the Jordan River. And, I mean, the cure, the, the anti-curse, the, the source of life right there. What do you see when you look at Jesus? My prayer today for all of us is that as we lift our eyes to see him, that we will, like it's our first time today, I pray the Spirit makes him known to your heart. Because there is something indescribable that happens as you behold the Lamb. It has the power to redirect your course and change the lives around you. I mean, look at John. I love this. When John sees Jesus, he beholds him himself, and then he says to everyone else, behold the Lamb of God, like Shane pointed out last week. John's whole purpose in life is pointing people to Jesus. His whole purpose, preparing the way for the Lord. Oh, you have an impossible situation? I know a rescuer. Do you need healing? I know the great physician. Right? He's pointing people to Jesus. Do you need this burden of guilt and shame removed? I know the only one who can do it. John's entire life is like embodied in this moment as he beholds the Lamb. Have you seen Jesus? One of the pitfalls we run into, I think, in our journey is just blindness. We either aren't seeing him or we stop seeing him. Get our eyes off of Jesus and onto other things. Anybody? Yeah. But when you see him as he is, something deep within you changes. And it's like the best way I can describe it is it's like a hunger and a thirst. You, you get this John the Baptist like passion to leave everything and follow him and share him with everybody around you. When you see Jesus as he is, as the one who's loved you so much that he left everything to come and take your place. To be the Lamb of God for you and for me, it'll warm your heart and do something within that nothing else can. And the other, the other point is, just a side point, we really can't point other people to him if we haven't seen him. Right? But I remember the first time that I saw him as the Lamb who gave his life to took my place. And I surrendered and I had such a change of heart in my life. It radically changed me. But a few years later, you know what I saw? I saw him as the lamb who had left his comfort on mission for my heart. So you know what I did? I was urged because my heart was so changed by that to leave the comfort. We sold our, we sold our business and we went into ministry making a lot less money than you do when you own your own business. And you know what? I did it because I was compelled to follow him. I've seen him through the years more and more. Every day I see him as the, the husband who gives his life for his bride, the church. 
See him as the obedient son who will do anything the father asks, even to the cross. And it changes my heart. The more I read scripture and walk with him and behold him, the more I stand in awe and I feel my heart transforming within my chest. And that's why I can tell you today, passionately and persistently, behold the Lamb of God, because I've seen Him. And when you see Him, it'll do something to you. It'll change your life, and it'll do it over and over again. John the Baptist beholds Jesus and tells his disciples to follow Him. And how do they respond? They follow, right? Immediately. You know, it's natural. That's the natural response. When you see Jesus, like not just see him, because a lot of people saw him, right? But when the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart to who he is, you follow. You can't help it. Jesus turns and he sees them following. I love that. They're so eager. They're so excited that they just left. They just left John. And I, I know it's like, so what? Yeah, I mean, they saw Jesus. But you got to think about it. Like, think about what they left to follow Jesus. They left everything they knew. They had spent so much time with John, sitting around campfires, hearing his deepest thoughts and, and revelations of God. John had amassed multitudes following and coming out to the wilderness to see him. And behind him were these two, his bodyguards, you know, his followers. They've got it made, you know. Yet in a moment when they see that this is Jesus, they leave everything behind to follow him. Which brings up a pretty obvious point. When you follow Jesus, you leave something behind. When you follow, you know what I'm saying? Like if I walk away from here, I just left Kenny's awesome guitar behind. It's, it's natural. When you follow Jesus, you leave something. That's what grace is. What grace that God calls us away from the meaninglessness of our lives apart from Him. To be with Him. To follow Him. And He calls us into this larger story He's telling. Which is another pitfall of, of the journey. And I would label it baggage. Baggage. You guys, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have packed for a trip? You ever tried to pack the whole house in the back of your car? It doesn't go very well, does it? It's like those Ikea commercials with the stuff piled on the top of the Mini Cooper or the Volvo, whatever Swedish cars are. <laughs> Let me ask you what, did you, what did you leave to follow Jesus? I wish we had time to pass the mic around, but I want you to think about it. What did you leave? When you look in the rearview mirror, what's back there? When we follow Jesus, we can take, try to take our whole life with us, but we can't. We can't take our life with us as it was. It weighs us down. Can you imagine? Oh, man, let me pack this trophy here I got in fourth grade. I need that. I need to take that with me. Oh, and here's that old destructive relationship that I keep circling around. I've got room. I've got room for that. If I could just squish some of the security and comfort in, I'll be set. Oh, man, oh, I, I, I couldn't even sleep at night without this addiction. i got to take that. You know, it's like, it's like that soothing sound, white noise. The journey requires that we pack light. If you're following Jesus, there is always something in the rearview mirror. 
And I know for me, there's this like growing list. The longer I follow, it seems like every week, God reveals new things to my heart and says, why are you, why are you, why are you carrying that, son? Why are you trying to bring that with you? You don't need that. And the more I let go by His grace, it seems like the more of Him I get. The more I enjoy the journey, the more freedom I experience in Christ, the lighter I feel. And I'm so glad I let go and so thankful for His irresistible grace that calls me and empowers me. But following Jesus does mean leaving something else because Jesus issues a challenge. When Jesus calls you, He challenges you. Look at what he says next. What are you seeking? He turns around, sees him following, and we hear the first words from Jesus in the book of John. It's the first time Jesus speaks. Pretty important stuff, right? First words they've ever heard come out of his mouth. What do you want? What do you want from Jesus? Jesus tests their heart. He gets straight to the core of the matter. He doesn't mince words. Jesus is not a word mincer. It's like he looks into their eyes. He listens to the tone of their voice. He listens to their heart as he asks. And that question is so powerful. I don't want to just move past it. I want to pause here for a second and just ask you, why are you following? Why are you here today? What are you seeking when you left everything to follow Jesus? What were you hoping to get out of it? What are you looking for? What do you want from Jesus here in this community of disciples called New City? Because I'll tell you what, if it's more of Jesus, you're in the right place. Because we don't have much else to give. We try to preach decent sermons. Some come out cross better than others. We try to have some jam and musica, Right? Hugs and laughter, children's church, fun community gatherings. But in the end, those are not sufficient. Hear me. They're not big enough, good enough, strong enough to change your life. You need Jesus. Only Jesus is. And he graciously challenges our reasons for following him. You know why? Because he loves us. He wants to point out the false motivations and reveal them to us that would destroy us. That would take us off course. Instead of hoping in Him, we're hoping in something else. And you know what? When you're following something else, you're not following Jesus. People follow Jesus for all kinds of reasons, don't they? Let me ask you guys. What what are some of the false motivations that you've seen, like in life or even in the story of God, when people came to Jesus to follow Him? What are some of the false motivations? To look good. Yeah. Yeah, if I could just be around him, he raises my property value. Yeah. What else? What's that? Food. Yeah. Yeah, did you see? He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Like, I'm hungry. I'm hanging around him. He'll provide. Yeah. Good. What else? <laughs> Avon is so cute. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> Prosperity, yeah. yeah. Fame. There's all kinds of reasons people follow Jesus. Maybe some people wanted healing from him, right? 
or, or for political reasons. But I think one of the things we have to ask ourselves, though, is, is, is Jesus a means or an end? I think we are all often guilty of this from time to time. I know I am. We make him a means to an end instead of an end in himself. It's like the woman, you know, and she's, she's got rich parents and she finds this guy and he says, Ooh, I love you, baby. You know, I want to marry you, make you my wifey. He's from the South. And so he marries her and, you know, her parents pass on and they don't leave her all the money. And all of a sudden he's gone. Did he love her? No. no. He married her for what? Her money. Yeah. She was a means to something else he wanted. And, you know, I'll tell you the truth. Often in my heart, I've seen it over and over as the Spirit reveals it to me. And I've seen it in lives around me. And I'm sure you've probably seen it in your own life, too. How many of you have experienced wanting God as a means to another end instead of Him being the prize you seek? Like, do you want the healing or do you want the healer? Do you want the provision or do you want the provider? Is he the goal or is, did you marry God for his money? And it happens all the time. I think, I think it really shows up when trials come, right? The guy who married God, well, you know, followed Jesus for prosperity. And then, you know, his bank account's in the red and everything's going to crap. And man, what in the world am I going to do? And his faith is tried in that moment. And he has a choice. Do I really love Jesus for who he is as Savior, or do I love him for what he gives me? Scripture is clear that in this life we have trouble. Being a Christ follower is not a suffering-free zone. I think we're more acutely aware of that this week than we have been in a while. But there are these moments that God uses, I believe, to reveal our hearts. Moments of trial, temptation that, that Jesus often uses to remind us of the lovely simplicity of being with him. And that's what these two followers in the text want. Look at their answer. What do you want? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Think about that. They could have said anything. They could have asked Jesus, like for great revelation. Why did John call you the Lamb of God? You know? Or uh, they could have tried to control the situation. So um, if we follow you, where exactly are we going? How long are we going to be away? You know, they could have tried to figure out all kinds of things in that moment. But in that moment, all they said is, Rabbi, where are you staying? We want to be with you, Jesus. That was their heart. And I love that. Like, just think about that teacher. Just that word that... They're not disciples of John anymore. They've left to submit to him as their master, as their teacher. To come under his loving authority. And where are you staying? They've left everything to follow. You know, practically, like, hopefully he says, yeah, I'll tell you where I'm staying. Because if not, they don't have a place to stay, right? But also they just want to be with him. And I think this brings up another pitfall in the journey. And that's the motivation piece that we've been talking about. One of the places we get off track in our experience with Jesus is when other things become our motivation, our goal. Because then we aren't really following Jesus, are we? If Jesus asks you today, what do you want? What thoughts are in your heart? Are, is your heart say, you're my teacher? That 
you trust his lordship, you're ready to submit your entire life to his ways. That you'll trust him to, to tell you what is good, right, and perfect and evil. Trust him to direct and protect you. Do you want Jesus as your companion? Are you ready to leave everything behind to be with him? Is he, how much do you value him? Is he worth that much? Is Jesus enough? Last week, two weeks ago, um, some uh, staff from a mega church came down to uh, San Diego from from uh, L.A. area, and they asked to meet with us. They'd seen they'd seen our video, and they asked to asked to meet with Zach and I. And um, one of the times, one of the questions was about how we're doing, what we're doing, why we're doing it. You know, and Zach just started hammering that point about being a disciple. I love he's just like. You know, Zach in those moments just wax eloquent. I love that. He gets that glisten in his eye and just goes for it. And it was, oh, dude, it was, I was just sitting there like, I'm following, I'm in, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things he said is, yeah, I, I wrote this down, you could probably say it better, but he said, being a disciple is hard. It's a departure from the comforts and plans of our life. Living life in community is not just like easy. It's not something that you just kind of pencil it on the calendar. It takes everything. Following Jesus takes everything. And he said it's the only thing worth giving the American dream up for. The American dream is it's pretty good. We live like kings. How many kings ever had running water? Right? And refrigerated food and microwaves that cause cancer. How many kings had that? <laughs> But I'll tell you, like, here's the deal. Like, what you get in return, it may take a lot. To, you may give up a lot. Jesus may challenge your motivations a lot. But what you get in return is infinitely greater. And if you believe that, that's the only reason you're following. If you've beheld the Lamb of God, you know exactly what I'm saying. You're willing to sacrifice security and comfort for the one who gave it all up for you. You're willing to give generously because he gave everything up for you. You're willing to commit to his calling, to his family, because you've seen how committed he was to following his calling, even to the cross, so that he could invite you into family. Do you see that? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Is he worth the risk? If he is worth it, you will gladly leave everything to follow him. And if you aren't sure, that's okay. I'm going to tell you the same thing that Jesus said to them. What did he say next? He said, come and see. Experience it. Give Jesus a try. Everyone say that. Say, come and see. I love Jesus' response to their question. Where are you staying? He doesn't give them directions. You know? It's not like, well, if you take a left, you know, up at Nazareth. And then, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't give them direction. He doesn't paint a picture of what the house looks like. Oh, it's a cozy little cottage. You know, he just, he says, come and see. He invites them into life to come and behold the work of God resident in his life. Like, that's what discipleship is. We complicate it, but it's not more complicated than that. Come and see. Not PowerPoints and dry erase boards or cool screens or events. No, it's the life of Christ resident in his family and the community along the way, journeying together as, as a band of disciples walking with Jesus.
It's leaving everything to follow and to come and see. And we say it all the time here. Church is not what happens here on a Sunday morning. This is just a window into it. But church is the daily life of the community, his family. Next time, try this. Next time somebody asks you about the reason you have or the hope that you have or why you say or do the things you do, don't sit there and give them a theological dissertation. Just invite them to come and see. Invite them into life. That's what Mother Teresa used to say. People would always, you know, she'd come to the States, raise funds for Calcutta, and people would say, oh, Mother Teresa, how's, how's it going over there? She never would describe it to them. She would just say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Invite people into life. And she'd put them to work. That's right. <laughs> As your gospel community lives out the rhythms of life together, partying, serving, loving and resting, invite them to see the life of Christ in display. While you're celebrating birthdays or holidays, invite them in. As you, as you struggle with sin and messy situations, don't hide it from them. Let them see. As you wrestle with and face devastating losses, invite them to see that. Friday's memorial service for Mazel was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. There was, it was broken. It, people were hurting, but at the same time, there was so much hope. So much pointing to Jesus going on. If you were stunned in your faith, I guarantee you, you left that place refreshed and trusting Jesus. And I guarantee you, a lot of the people there that weren't following Jesus at the time really considered it maybe for the first time. Because there was so much hope and joy in pointing to Jesus, and they were invited in. Let people see the raw reality of the kingdom of life. And in it, if we are beholding Jesus, they will begin seeing him too. And the last piece there is this hang time. He, he hangs out with them. It's amazing to me. Jesus invites him to come and see. How would you have liked to sat around that campfire and just talk to Jesus face to face? Pretty cool. And what grace is it that the God of the universe, who would not allow sin to remain in his presence, is now sitting around a campfire with sinners and inviting them into life. It's pure love on display. And look how it impacts them. What, what does experiencing Jesus do? When you experience the life in Christ, you share it. You can't help it. And that's the third point. That's what happens next. Look at Andrew. After a few hours of being with Jesus, Andrew splits. He runs, grabs his brother, compels him. Peter, you have to come quick. We've found him. We have found the Messiah, the Savior. I love that. I lo look at that excitement and passion. Do you remember experiencing that, your first time experiencing Jesus? That passion to share him, like you were just on fire. It's like the old prophet said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't contain it. I'm passionate because I've seen Jesus. I've seen the hope. I'll tell you, here's just a practical point. The Messiah means the Savior, the Savior for the worst situations they were in. And he comes to Peter and he says, hey, all these bad situations we're in, I know somebody who's going to fix it. Like, Everybody in your life is struggling with something. How is Jesus the Savior of that? 
Go and meet him in the middle of their struggle and point him to Jesus. I found the Savior. I found the Messiah. I was 15 years old and I was crying my heart out in a tiny little prayer room because I was guilty. I knew if Jesus came back in the rapture, I was going to go to hell or get my head chopped off by the Antichrist. Pretty bad theology at the time, but that's what I thought. <laughs> because I had kissed a girl whose breath smelled like zucchini, and I knew the fact that I had kissed her, I was going to hell. And I was so convicted, and I remember feeling in that moment like, like just crying out to God, asking Him to forgive me. I felt this like warmth and love and grace come into that room. Have you guys felt that? Have you experienced God like that before? If not, I pray today is the day. In a few moments as we close and pray, I pray today is the day you experience his love for you. But I experienced that, and it was such a powerful feeling. God met me in that little room. It warmed my heart, and it changed me. I remember going home that day to sit on our powerful, compact Presario computer. I made a homemade flyer to invite people to church. And I asked my parents, can you guys take me downtown with you this Friday when you go on your date night? And I just want to stand on the corner and tell people about Jesus. Now, I'm not bragging on me. It was a stupid thing to do. I was 16 and just zealous. But you know what? I'm pointing to the passion of God's sovereign work in my heart that he drew me to him. I started going out there on the weekends, and pretty soon a couple of my friends came. And within a couple months, the whole youth group was going down there. And we were telling people about Jesus just passionately. You know Why? Because he had done a work in my heart and I couldn't contain it. I wanted to share his love with everyone. What grace that we get to see him and follow him and experience life with him and leave stuff behind so we can be with him and that we get to share him with others. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. One of the greatest signs, you want a thermometer for the warmth of your heart? One of the greatest signs you've been caught in a pitfall is this. Let me ask you. Is sharing Jesus the natural response of your heart? We do it with iPhone apps and Groupon deals. Why not with the greatest news ever? I'll tell you something. If your heart is not overjoyed in the gospel... And in your experience with Jesus, something is off. And I don't say that to condemn you because it happens to me all the time. I get caught off. I stumble up. I get diverted. I get distracted. I get caught up in pitfalls. And how does it happen? Maybe I've simply gotten my eyes off Jesus. Or maybe I may have left a lot to follow, but you know how you find new things along the way and you start kind of throwing them into your bags you're carrying? Pretty soon I'm weighed down by all the extra junk in my life. Sometimes they're religious things. They're workspace things. They're Rob Joyce, sin management. Sometimes they're irreligious things, new addictions, new idols. People in my life I want to impress. Goals that I have that come before Jesus. Sometimes they're bad motivations. I... I, I think the last six sermons I've preached, I've brought up this whole like struggle that I've had recently, this bad motivation of finding my dentistry and success in ministry. Like in the way it would show up, like is if I preach a really good sermon, like it would be cool to be around me on Monday. But if I didn't, just let Vince be alone today. He's just he's just going to go off and step on ants. You know, I don't do that. I, really, I don't step on ants. 
on purpose. That's just the last, though, in my life in a long line of bad motivations that have pulled me off track from following Jesus, seeking his gifts instead of him, following other things. But when I behold the Lamb and the Holy Spirit warms my heart and reminds me who I'm following, I remember that he's all I need. And I'm, I'm just so glad to let go of stuff that I've held on to and leave it in the rearview mirror. All I need is him. Question for you guys. Who has Jesus called you to share him with? Andrew run home, runs home and gets his brother, Simon. And he says, we found the Messiah, the Savior, we, what we've dreamed about. Right? And he, and he grabs him. In the final verse of this passage, what happens? Simon arrives, and I love Jesus' response to Simon. He changes his name, gives him a new name, a new identity. And time would fail me to go into that whole identity piece of what happens when we come to Christ. And he gives us a new identity and changes our name, changes our nature. But in the rest of the gospel, I think this is the thing that stood out to me so much in this passage. You hear a lot about Peter and not a lot about Andrew. And I want to close out with this picture because I think it encapsulates everything we've discussed today. And just talk about Andrew. The rest of Scripture really persuades me that Andrew left everything to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Andrew saw Jesus, he left everything, and he finds Jesus to be all he hoped for. And what a wonderful thing to be the guy who brings Simon Peter to Jesus. That's, that's kind of cool. The first big leader of the church, the guy who preaches on the day of Pentecost. And the rest of Scripture like points, points out Andrew in 12 verses. That's it. And in eight of those verses, he's mentioned as Simon's brother. Almost always mentioned second. He's not invited into the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, even though he's one of Jesus' first two human followers. But there's never a moment that's mentioned that Andrew gets resentful. Why? Following Jesus is his own reward. You know the only thing Andrew's famous for is bringing people to Jesus? He brings his brother to Jesus like we read. And when the young boy with five loaves and two fishes come, and there's nobody, nobody, no food for everybody, he brings the boy to Jesus. When the Greeks who were looking for Jesus, Philip doesn't know what to do, but Andrew took them to Jesus. That's his claim to fame. He loved Jesus so much, he just had to share him. Sharing Jesus is the natural result of having an experience with him. So let me ask you as we wind down, have you seen Jesus and discovered him for yourself? And have you left everything to follow him and found him to be enough? If so, you are so utterly changed by the gospel, you can't help but share it. You know what an evangelist is? Somebody who proclaims the gospel. To believers, to non-believers, to everybody, to their own heart. Someone's marriage is falling apart. Uh, I have good news for that. Somebody's life is falling apart, falling apart. I've got good news for that. The worst situations in the world, the best. There's good news for that. It's kind of like the old iPhone commercial. I've got an app for that. The gospel applies to everything. No matter what the situation, it's got an app for that. Just give them Jesus. Don't give them Oprah or Dr. Phil. Those are good. Nothing. I, I love Dr. Phil. 
You don't have to memorize verses for every situation to hurl at people. Just point them to Jesus. He's the only Savior for their problems and pray with them as if Jesus is sitting right there because He is. I think if Andrew was here today, you know what I think he'd be saying? I don't care if I'm famous as my brother Simon. I just want to follow Jesus. Let Jesus lift other people up. What a joy just to be used to bring Simon to Jesus because my reward isn't a claim. It's being with Jesus. The life of the disciple isn't necessarily easy, but it's the best life imaginable. Because experiencing Jesus is the greatest thing that can ever happen to you. He will open your eyes to see him. He will redirect your course to follow him. And he'll change the lives around you as you share him. As the band comes, I just want to close with a couple of questions. Have you seen Jesus? Are you seeing him? If you will, just close your eyes with me. I want you to introspectively let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. If not today, if you haven't seen him, I have good news for you. Today you can. He loves you. He wants to open your eyes and warm your heart. It's a work of His grace. Come down today as we pray and surrender. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see Him fresh and new. Let one of the leaders pray for you. Second question, have you left everything to follow Him? When you look in your rearview mirror today, take a second and look at the take a second to look back there and see what you left behind. Take a second to unzip your baggage there and, and look and see all the stuff the load you're carrying. What can you let go of to walk lighter and freer and enjoy more of Jesus? What's motivating you? When he asks you, what do you want? What is the honest answer of your heart? And this is not guilt today, it's good news. Freedom, life. Jesus loves removing burdens. I love the way Eugene Peterson writes Matthew 5, 28-30. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll cut, recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. His grace will empower you. He doesn't do things part way or leave a work and finish. He that began a good work in you will finish it. So come to Him today. You don't have to worry. If you've fallen, He'll pick you up. If you're lost, He will find you. If you're wounded, He will carry you. His grace is enough because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? And lastly, are you joyfully sharing Him? Is the joy of your life bubbling and overflowing? If not, I have good news for you. He wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore the joy of your salvation and embrace you and hang out with you and warm your heart. If you listen, He will show you who you can share Him with this week. So I'm going to ask you today to rest in the good news. To come down and take communion, to feast upon the life of Christ lived in your place, to, to take part of, of His precious blood poured out for our pardon.
If you're feeling the Holy Spirit convict your heart and challenge you, there are leaders of the church that would love to pray for you. They'll be standing up here in the front. They want to talk to you and help free you from some of those burdens you've been carrying. Help unpack that baggage and lighten that load and examine your heart and point you to the only one who saves. Come and pray with them. Jesus, I ask that you would speak to every heart in this place. That we would remember the simplicity of following you. That we'd be called back to our first love. Speak to our hearts. Light a fire within us, God. Light a passionate fire. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit fall down and ignite something within our hearts, God. For we remember that you are all we need. That you are the goal. That you are the prize we seek. Do a work that we can't do on our own in Jesus' name. Amen.